Hey everyone, welcome to Single Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. They've definitely fixed something with the notifications because uh, it had not been working at all. Um, I yeah, I only gave 10 minutes notice on this one just to fit it in with my schedule. And we have more people in this room already um, than we had. So I'm glad they fixed that. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, doing this from my hotel room in Tel Aviv. Uh, toward the end of like a very long, draining, but interesting trip. Happy to talk about it. I want to talk about one other random thing first, and folks can feel free to get in the queue. Um, this is a little thing, but uh, Sam Harris just did an episode on Sam Bankman freed the uh, crypto uh, Bernie Madoff, possibly. The, the FTX guy, this guy who lost crazy tens of billions of dollars of wealth. This is a very little thing. Oh, wait, only invited listeners can call in. I need to fix that. Uh, let's see if I can edit this. Um, okay, let's. Uh, that should be fixed now. There we go. Uh, it was interesting to me. Little thing, but, but I think this sort of thing is going to come up a lot. Sam Harris took his episode about Sam Bankman Freed out of his feed. No, Sam, don't do that. I, I really think like if you have a scamster on your show for like a conversation at the time when he's not seen as a scamster, you should totally keep the episode in your feed. You should add a uh, some introductory uh, follow-up remarks before the episode to make sure no one will be confused and be like, here's what's happened since this guy came on my show. I'm leaving it up just to, to explain sort of how he scammed people. Uh, that just – that struck me as a no-brainer to not take it down. Um, uh no, he said he didn't leave it in his feed. Uh, anyway, he said he said he was taking it out of his feed for what it's worth, you know. But uh, let's just go to a caller. I have some Israel stuff I can say. But Ben, what's up? Hey, how's it going, Jesse? Good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Um, I know it's been a little while since this all happened, so I wanted to um, maybe drudge up the past a little bit. But all this stuff with Kanye. Um, <laughs> And, um, you know, about the, I guess, uh, anti-Semitism, um, and I guess to give some context, uh, I'm Jewish. I know that you're Jewish, and I'm yeah. sure that there are many listeners who are. So it's a difficult topic for me because it's kind of how I feel about a lot of these um, these other issues as well, um, where it's not clear where exactly the line is between <clears throat> bigotry and like exploration, I guess. And I think my issue with um, the Kanye thing is like, I think Kanye went too far. And I think a lot of people who are anti-Semitic go too far with the kind of like conspiratorial aspect of saying like Jews run the media or they run um, Hollywood, let's say. Uh, yeah. But with that said, like someone who says Jews are overrepresented, even though I hate that term, but like technically it's the case that like there is a, you could say overrepresentation in like positions of leadership or Hollywood or whatever. And I don't think that the, the specific like acknowledgement of that means anything like it yeah. doesn't 
it doesn't mean that they run or that there's a conspiracy or anything. I mean, in, in the case of many of these industries, it means that these are industries that were started by Jews in many cases. Like, there's a history of, of um, I mean, probably the best historical example is, is like in finance, right? Where like, in Europe, there were, there, for centuries, it was like impossible for a Catholic or a Christian person, I think generally, to to deal with money. It was like against the religion. And so, so Jews were sort of forced in some sense into that role. Sometimes literally forced in the sense that we weren't allowed in like, particularly anti-Semitic regimes, we weren't allowed other more prestigious things. And, and the money stuff was seen as a little bit like dirty or unholy. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And now we live in a world where money is, is valued and people go, you know, they're they're running this ship and it's like well okay but if you look at the history like if a if a group is forced into a role and then yeah. they do well in that role and then in hindsight it looks glamorous but it wasn't at the time then it's yeah. not a conspiracy so yeah what do you think is the best way to to discuss this because it feels like just like just saying like oh that's anti-semitic it's bigoted is like not helpful because no, no, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I've, I've been yeah. thinking a lot about this last few days, especially with the Chappelle stuff. I, I think the problem is obviously the way Ye did it was, uh, you know, DEFCON 3 on the Jews, talking about Zionist media, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's clearly anti-Semitic. I think we back ourselves into a very silly corner if we deny that. I mean, what's is the, is the claim? What percentage of Jews are... Um, I'm now going to do creepy Google searches. Jews percentage America. We're well under 1%. Yeah. Uh, is the claim that, let's see. Um, there's 7, 7 million. If there's, call it 8 million out of 340, we're like tiny. We're a very small percentage. Anyway, is they yeah. claim, no one can possibly claim that we're not overrepresented strictly numerically in, in Hollywood or like the legal profession. And what yeah. people do, and I understand why, is they assume you, you say there aren't a lot of reasons to bring that up unless you are an anti-Semite. That is often step one of like yeah. a four-step argument that ends in anti-Semitism. Um, so people think the way to knock it down is to deny step one. I just think that's dumb. I think there's a lot of historical reasons. There's also just like this sort of the nature of Judaism and the Talmud. And we have this literally millennia long history of like arguing about shit and arguing about shit. It lends itself to the law. We have like a very rich tradition here that we've had to carry with us as we've gotten chased back and forth across Europe. So I, I'm with you that I, yeah. I think it's a silly thing to deny. I think it's like, an educational opportunity to talk about how different groups get put into different roles. And there's a million other examples. Like there's, there's, you know, uh, my neighborhood, a lot of Arabs run bodegas. Does that mean there's something deep in the Arab soul that makes them well suited to running bodegas? Of course not. Or there's a million examples. Um, so yeah. I think, the, yeah, I think the way to do it is like, if you're, if you know, you should be skeptical of people who bring this up out of nowhere. Uh, what Kanye said, I can't call him yay. I don't, I don't have it. What Kanye West said was anti-Semitic, but that's because not, it's because he said things like death con three to the Jews. You know, it's not, yeah. I, if he had pointed it out and had some reason to, 
Um, there's also there is tension between black artists who feel like they were ripped off, uh, record labels and so on. And there's also tension in places like Crown Heights involving Jewish landlords and black tenants. So like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of messy history there. But uh, anyway, I'm just agreeing with you. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it seems like the to, to to just broadly acknowledge the overrepresentation while it can lead to anti-Semitism, isn't inherently anti-Semitic and actually can probably disempower anti-Semites because I think a lot of people see this kind of, oh, you know, the statistic appears to be accurate and no one else is talking about it except for these people and the explanations that they have for it is the only one I'm hearing. So instead of hearing like, oh, this industry was, was in some way formed by Jews, it's like, it's like saying, I don't know, this isn't a perfect analogy, of course, but like, it's kind of like saying like, oh, hip hop is overrepresented by black people. And it's like, well, yeah. I mean, well, no, I mean, not, not only that, but I, 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 I don't know. I think it's safe to say that like black Americans have produced so like punched so far above their weight in terms of producing incredible art and music for a relatively small yeah. group. I guess people wouldn't deny that because that's like a positive thing, but it's the same thing. There's cultural explanations for it, um, yeah. including the fact that they brought an entire different continent's culture to America. So, anyway, yeah, I'm with yeah, you. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I just, uh, I do think the gay thing was anti-Semitic, but uh, yeah, we should. These are good opportunities to talk about how different groups have different strengths because different groups have different strengths. That doesn't. It's not deterministic or fatalistic. It doesn't mean that if you're not Jewish, you can't be a good lawyer, or go to Hollywood. So, anyway, that's yeah, a good yeah. question and a tough question. I appreciate it, Ben. Yeah, thanks, Jesse. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got Neil. What's up? Okay, so three things. Firstly, does the Yay versus Kanye thing uh, like have any like stuff to do with like dead naming? Like, do people like? I don't know. Like, I've not seen anyone accuse anyone of dead naming Kanye, but maybe maybe after I do it, they will. Does it, does it have like broader implications, right? Because a lot of people refuse to say Yay, but then like like I don't know. Like, is it is it? Equivalent to like dead naming? I don't know. Like, what do you think? I don't think it's equivalent to dead naming. I think, uh, I don't think you have a right to become one of the most famous people on the planet under one name and then expect people to stop using that name. Full stop. What was your second question? Uh, Is it, is it any different from like Caitlyn Jenner and like, like versus Bruce or like, I don't know. I feel like. Uh, It seems different because there's a, you know, a whole identity change that I would try to respect. I also, don't think that we're not allowed to. Caitlyn Jenner doesn't think that it, you should never be able to point out that they were at one point Bruce Jenner. So, yeah. But I mean to like call them currently Bruce versus Caitlyn, right? Like, it, I just I think why it's, why I, does being like gender transitioning give you an extra like oh now the dead naming is particularly bad? Like I don't know. I feel like someone changes their name and the principalists respect the name change. I do with a lot of the stuff. I do it. I do it to be polite uh, out of respect. I I don't. I think in some cases people um, might sometimes overstate the harms, but if someone says my name is now this, I will respect their name in most circumstances. Kanye is or Ye is a interesting counterexample because he's literally one of the most famous people on the planet, and his nickname is literally just part of his name, so it's just a weird case, I think. Well, but then people who gender transition will sometimes take like a variation of their own name, right? Yeah. So I feel like that doesn't. Anyway, so that that, that was just a thing. I was... No, the, the other thing was that. 
Sam Harris did not remove the episode. It's still up. 271. In, right in the beginning of okay, I 303. Saw it, in the chat. Says, it looked like he removed it from yeah. the app. It looked like he removed it from the app, right? Yeah, from the app, but yeah. because it no longer belongs there, but not from the podcast feed. That is the position. Okay, I still would have kept it in the app, but I guess yeah. that's different. Well, I don't know. The app is for like meditation, right? Or like I don't know. Like I don't know what the, what the distinction is there. But um. Maybe I'll- oh yeah. So the main thing I wanted to call in about was so not to make you defend your uh, yeah. like podcast co-host positions, but um. There were other people saying it too, but basically people were mad at Elon for firing employees critical of him, saying, oh, that makes him a hypocrite about freedom of speech. But I feel like that just like, uh, Katie did it, and so did uh, Linus Sebastian, this one, a tech YouTuber. But I feel like it totally misunderstands free speech. Like, private companies should be able to fire employees. Like, like I, I think you can be critical of Elon and other things, especially the free speech stuff, because he's not going to, like he said in the one interview, he's not going to unban like all slurs. So that's like not being a free speech absolutist. I feel like it's something he's just saying to say it. But firing employees is not is not what like implicates him in being a hypocrite in this case. So I don't know. What were your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, I, I, I think he's being a dick, and I think it's horrible optics and horrible for the company. I but uh, I think workplace free speech stuff has much more to do with like, if you're allowed to express opinions outside of work, I think there's a subset of people within journalism who like sort of think like you should be able to just shit on your coworkers publicly or like criticize your boss aggressively publicly. And I definitely think there should be always be channels to criticize your boss or to like complain without fear of retribution. But uh, no, I, I don't think, believing in free speech entails and anything goes approach to like workplace gripes on Twitter. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I would not have fired the employees. I feel bad for them. I don't, I personally disagree with Katie. I don't think it's a free speech issue. Well, so this complicates it was that apparently some of the complaints were in like Twitter Slack channels, right? So it's not public. So does that make it, does that make it different? Uh, yeah. I mean, it makes it di- more dickish of them, but it's still not a free speech issue. I don't think. Yeah. Okay. But also depends what they said. I haven't read the tweets yet. Yeah, the, the tweets were pretty, the, the public tweets were like pretty bad for the one employee. I don't know about the internal Slack channels if we have that. Anyway, yeah, uh, those are my questions. All right, good questions. Now. Yeah, I don't think that's a free speech issue, but I can see people disagreeing. Steven, what's up? Just you can hear it? Yeah, it's a little rough, but uh, let's see if we can do this. Okay, um, sorry, I'm close to Midtown. Yeah, uh, long time listener, second time caller. Or I just wanted to say that in the uh, regarding the Sam Harris thing, um, in the podcast he did about Sam Bankman-Fried recently, he, he mentioned that what, what Neil said, which is that he deleted his early his conversation with Sam Bankman-Fried from the Waking Up app, which is a meditation app, but he left it on his podcast app. You know, make, making sense. Um, and one thing that was interesting is that he mentioned that he said, like, you know, I listened to my conversation with Sam Bankman-Fried again this morning. And, uh, you know, I didn't, couldn't detect in the conversation anything that, like... Yeah, he said, like, he sounded sincere, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, so that was, and he he brought up an interesting point. He said that, like, he doesn't know if it was always a fraud or if he, like, you know, ended up stealing money, you know, and he also didn't know if if Bernie Madoff was always, he always, like, set out to be a fraud, is what I mean, you know. So I guess, um, I forgot what I was going to ask when I, when I, um, oh, yeah, so so do do you have any knowledge of, like, how how long Sam Bankman-Fried was 
defrauding people and, and using their assets. Oh, and man. Unfortunately, I just I just don't. No, I, I, I need to catch up on this story so much. I, I feel bad, but I know so little about it. I was just um, – yeah, I'm 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 looking forward to catch up on it because it's going to be like a, I think a, a historic finance fraud story. But yeah, I, I just got nothing on that. Do, do you and Katie anticipate doing an episode about it? Uh, maybe it's it's tricky because it's definitely tech, but it's like even though I like lightly chime in on random shit on Twitter, I really in terms of like actual effort and reporting, I try to stay out of areas where like. I'm starting from ground zero and there's a million other people who'll be doing it better. So like PJ vote, you know, he has crypto Island his podcast. Now he'll cover this. Well, Casey Newton will cover it. Well, there's just like, it feels like maybe there's less room for us to get in on it, but we're definitely going to consider it. Okay. Gotcha. Thanks, Justin. Thanks dude. Yeah. I just think it's like, it's about knowing our niche. So like, you know, the, the, the Keffels episodes were too long. And if you don't know who Keffels is, you can Google her and Blocked Reporter. But, like, you know, who else did that? I don't think anyone else did that. I think something like Tim Bateman freed a million people are going to do it. So, Justin, what is up? Hey, Jesse. Been a while. I suffered from the notification loss. Uh, sorry, your, your account went down. Um, yeah, I wanted no, to I'm check. Glad everyone's back. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, it's glad to to be able to participate again. Um, on the SBF stuff, uh, I don't know how much truth there is to it, but in like right wing spaces, there's a lot of talk about, um, and obviously they just want to dump on this big damn donor, um, about how he, this operation may be like a CIA plant in order to help promote, uh, regulation of crypto, you know, a big failure happens. Oh, look, there's an emergency we got to solve. Here's new rules, blah, 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 blah. So uh, I I think outlets have not been looking into it, but there may or may not be something there. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I, I read a little bit of Matt Stoller's coverage of this on his Substack. You know, he's a big like monopoly finance regulation guy. I think like certain I, conspiracy theories are awesome, and the CIA has certainly done weirder shit than that. But like, if you want there to be more regulation of crypto, or do you think there's like a million more straightforward ways to go about it? I don't necessarily know. Like, sure, you could just go ahead and write up some legislation, but I think the last few years have proven that having a big public event that you can. Uh, you know, yeah, focusing event, I think, is like the term for that. Focusing events can have a big impact on like the agenda, basically. Yeah, just think about, you know, Jan 6 for the last year and a half or, you know, Russiagate for a year, like, like a million different things like that have all been used to forward big pushes in government power. Anyways, I don't necessarily believe any of what I'm mentioning here. That was meant to be an offhand. Um, yeah, I, I, hope, I hope that that gets either debunked or whatever just that details actually emerge um i wish i knew more about the cia and like what it does because there's been some anyway because sorry go ahead didn't mean to talk over you yeah unfortunately no it's fine uh, unfortunately it's the kind of thing that we probably just won't get to the bottom of like almost for a very long time because that yeah. information is just not privy to most people like you can't the information is not there to make the decision that you want to be able to make it's always going to be in the fog of war let's say yeah. Um, all right. But uh, I did want to, because a while ago, uh, this this yay thing popped up 
And I didn't think much of it. I thought like, okay, he, he said some dumb shit like celebrities are wont to do. And uh, like you said, there is particular kind of tension between um, certain, you know, black communities and Jewish communities, like the Hebrew Israelites and stuff like that. And this filters into all kinds of stuff. And um, then I, I saw, I can't remember where, but he was talking on some program and he was saying like, how is what I'm saying about the Jews any different from what's get said about the whites all the time? And um, then I remembered that very recently before he made these comments, um, and, and I think he definitely went too far, by the way, uh, <laughs> he, he had done this kind of unveiling with Candace Owens, kind of bringing back, let's say, the it's okay to be white slogan. And I started to wonder, like, how much of this is some kind of like cultural performance art that he's doing where he's like, you know, uh, putting on the giant prosthetic tits to see how much people will, <laughs> how, how they'll react, right? And, uh, and oh, like I think I just I, I think he's like and... you're talking you're talking about Kanye, right? Yeah, drop that for a sec. I think I think he's just very mentally ill, and I think mentally ill people have no filters. Um, I don't think there's much rhyme or reason to it. Uh, I've heard other people say the you know. I saw other people make that point of like, oh, you're allowed to say it about white people. There's a lot of history there. And like, you know, talking about Jewish cabals, I don't, I, I actually do not think harm will befall Jews solely because Kanye West is crazy. But like, it's just not a good comparison, I don't think, because like, you're not, you're not, you're, you know, uh, referencing and breathing new life into ancient conspiracy theories because there's no such thing when it comes to whites. I, I think that should maybe give people pause that like they say dumb conspiratorial shit about white people. And I think a lot of white people do this, white people do that discourse is dumb, but I just, I don't know. I just think they're totally different given the, the historical context. I, I, I agree they're different. I, I don't know why this is old versus this is present and happening now should make it less, uh, uh, less concerning or, or, or more concerning. Sorry. Um, it, it's interesting that your response and this is just a joke was, uh, well, my people are special. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, and I, 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 I don't think it, it, it's okay in either case. Uh, I'm starting to wonder though, how much of it was him trying to make that point, right? Like he, he seems to be aware of, of this. And uh, I just find the timing odd between those two kind of stunts that he pulled. Um, yeah. I don't think you have an answer to it. No, no, it's okay. I mean, I just, I just, I, I, I think he's unwell and I think he shouldn't get in front of a microphone or a camera for a while. Um, so I'm not sure yeah. there's much strategy to it, um, but I'd have to think about that more maybe. Cool. Um, Please, all right. Well, yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. What is up, eh? Hey, Jesse, how are you keeping? Good, how are you? Not too bad. I missed the start. Did you say are you still in Israel or are you back uh, in America? Yeah, I'm in, um, I'm in Tel Aviv at the moment. I'll be back here. Uh, I'm leaving here in a couple of days. Oh, good stuff. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, I mean, yes and no. It's been, um, it'll have been, I've lost all sense of time. I think it'll have been a week and a half trip of just like mostly... A little free time, but mostly just getting driven around and seeing various things and talking to experts. Uh, and it, it, it's heavy. It's just like a um, 
you know, it, it's the nice parts of Israel are basically like highly functioning, thriving or social democracy, like in Northern Europe, but with Mediterranean weather. And then there's sort of like war zones and occupations on every side of it. So it's a, it's a crazy place and a fucked up place. Is it your first time there? Or have you been there? A few it's times? my third actually, but I haven't been here in a decade. Okay. Has it changed much? Uh, apparently just the build, building in places like Tel Aviv, there's many, many skyscrapers I was told were not here a decade ago. Uh, and I would say the prospects for peace have only grown more distant. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't sound great. Uh, okay. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of the time. And I, I think I heard Tel Aviv is a kind of a party town, so I hope you get to enjoy some of that. Like, but, uh, uh, I was going to just, first of all, I was going to agree with Neil and I hope you stop uh, dead naming Ye and just refer to him by his preferred nomenclature, <laughs> Ye. I apologize, um, I'll try to do better, etc. <laughs> uh, but I was also just going to uh, uh, ask you about, like, I heard you talking about Chappelle earlier and the uh, Saturday Night Live monologue, but I, I didn't actually hear what you thought of it. Did you think it was anti-Semitic and across the line or what did you think? No, uh, yeah, I mean, well... I thought it was dumb. I thought he was like, he was acting, he was doing that thing where like, he's not really understanding or he's pretending not to understand why people are mad at Kanye. People are mad at Kanye. Cause he said, he's going to go death con three on the Jews and stuff like that. Um, I, it's hard for me to get that upset. I just made like, I sort of defended him. You know, he made some jokes about trans people when he's made jokes about every group of people over the years. And my whole point was comedians make offensive jokes about groups of people, including historically marginalized ones. So I'm, I found it hard to get that worked up about it. Um, and I think he came closer to making the point of like, yes, Jews are overrepresented in Hollywood uh, in a more observational way. Although the, the conspiracy stuff I thought was sort of a joke, like there, there's like a mafia. I don't know. I, I saw it as jokey, whereas with Kanye, it was more malicious, but I could see, I don't know, I could see people being offended by it. I just think we need the capacity to be offended by something and then move on, especially when the person who offends you is a comedian who you have perhaps paid to be offended by when it was other groups. Yeah, I, like I think, I suppose part of a comedian's job is to like, you know, uh, find out where the line is. And I think like this routine really showed um, like there was a lot of ambiguity in it, I think, and that's where like a lot of people have drawn different reactions to it. And it's, it's shown where a lot of people's lines are with regards to anti-Semitism. Like some people thought it was definitely over the line and some people thought like, yeah. you know, on the line, maybe you're approaching the line, but not maybe over it. And I think that's part of a comedian's job to kind of stir that debate. And I thought it was interesting in that regard. And yeah, I, 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 probably... I also just fundamentally disagreed with him. Like, um, you know, what's Kanye West worth? I mean, is it is it is he actually a billionaire? Whatever it is, it's a huge amount. Uh, I think it's okay that if you're a billionaire and you say death to the Jews, you lose money over it. That's like the whole point. When people sponsor you or, or have your name on their label, that's part of the deal. I mean, like there's there's shit you can't say, and for good reasons. He's not being he's being. So I I, I found the whole thing a little bit weird, and I'm still at some point on the trip. I actually pointed this out. Chappelle sometimes, I think especially lately, has this style where it's like part stand-up routine, but then he just sort of lectures for a while. Then he goes, I love Chappelle growing up. He had a huge impact on me, like killing them softly um, and, and Chappelle show. But I just didn't think it was that funny. But I, I didn't think it was that offensive either. 
Yeah, I would probably share the assessment. Like, I didn't think it was that uh, funny or that assessment. It was pretty funny. I thought, like, well, funny. Like, it wasn't his best material, but it was it wasn't bad yeah. either. I thought, like, not his moment. Thought, like, it wasn't terrible, but it, I just was underwhelmed by it. I thought there was a bit of a point to that Kanye with the money thing because he was like, I think he was um, uh, a billionaire. Uh, like Forbes had attracted him at two billion. I think at least he said he was nine billion himself, but he has gone down to like I think less like 500 million or something he's not poor but he's, he's lost a huge amount of his wealth a in a very short time like and i think it was funny when he was talking about like uh you know you're, you're one of us again now like you were because kind of yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was pretty that was a good line actually uh but I, I in general i just thought like it's interesting about like what comedians can say and what, what topics they can even broach now and i think probably talking about anything with regards to like you know, Jews being overrepresented, like that's approaching the line for sure. And depends what you say, uh, like in terms of whether you go over the line, some people even bring up that topic will be over the line. But like, yeah, pro- it's probably one of the only topics other than I would say, like Islam, like and trans issues, which most comedians wouldn't even just bother making jokes about because like some people will always misinterpret the subject of the joke for the tar- as the target of the joke. And it's, it's yeah. not off. like that's why like a lot of comedians now well it used to get like hauled over the coal for like rape jokes and it, and like people would say it shouldn't even be a topic for joke like and ricky gervais yeah. would often say like you know it depends on what the, the target of the joke is obviously if you're making fun i, I of also victims, think there's terrible. a class element here like i think it's not for nothing that he got no blowback for having a Chappelle show character who is literally a crackhead that was a whole joke um tyrone biggums and then yeah. in, a, in a recent special i think the first one he where he did trans stuff he made fun of like opioid addicts, white opioid addicts, I think in Ohio, no one gave a shit about that either. So I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's telling that he's allowed to make fun of literally some of the most fucked people in America. And that's yeah, fine. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I, the, he's not, he wasn't, I don't know. Anyway, I, I understand Jews are vulnerable in a global sense, but he's like talking about powerful people. I, I think maybe I'm a I bad Jew. Doing his job as a comedian, like you know, he's yeah. still finding the line. Like I think that's you know, he's, he's doing the work, doing the job of a comedian. Like I think so. I the still LGBTQ think he's, he's car good. thing was pretty funny because like if you talk if you talk to gay or trans people, they everyone agrees that like it's funny that this whole group is together. They they all don't get along. That that, that was, was brilliant. Funny. Yeah, that was yeah. brilliant. All right, yeah. good luck. On- Thanks, Neil. I'm skipping you just for now, just because uh, to get to f- other folks who haven't gone yet, but I'll get to you at the end. Uh, Jamal, what's up? Jamal, can you unmute yourself? Or perhaps I will jump to Joshua and then get you after. Joshua, it is. Joshua, what's up? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Okay, awesome. Um, so are you back from Israel or uh, are you still there? No, someone else on the trip pointed out that it's probably just bad to like, just for um, safety's sake, you should probably not say exactly where you are, although Israel's pretty safe. But uh, yes, I'm still in Israel's point. I'll be here a couple more days. Okay. Um, well, I would love to send you some cool restaurants and bars to check out. I actually just landed from Israel um, yesterday. Um, hey, yeah, send me what you got. We have very little free time. It's all heavily scheduled, but I'll definitely take your recommendations. Yeah, sure. Um, and so what I'd say is uh, maybe you're interested, maybe you're not, but uh, I kind of have a unique perspective of someone who lived in the country for about 10 years and also oh, wow. uh, served in the military there as a combat operator, including 
uh, in the West Bank. Um, oh wow! When did when did you serve there? Uh around uh, 2010. Okay. Uh, I was yeah, um, without like going into too much details, but yeah, someone who like came in, uh, did my military service, got out. Um, very much a fighter turned uh, lover, um, j- just to lay the ground. So uh, pro peace activist. Have been to. God knows how many two-state solution and peace rallies in Tel Aviv and throughout. Someone whose voting record is center or left or or left. Um, I, I I'd say it's it's a very interesting trip that you're going on, uh, just so you know. And you're right. I think I saw one comment where you're talking about how the country has moved to the right. I think over years of disillusionment of years of uh, suicide bombings and yeah. you know rockets following on us and failed uh, peace treaties. I'm personally someone who's very depressed about the recent elections and seeing the amount of right and also religious involvement coming into the country. Yeah, and, and maybe and, just to fill in listeners, uh, part of the reason this sort of right, far-right coalition was elected was because earlier this year there was this sort of sectarian violence. Tell me if I'm getting any of this wrong. There was a sort of sectarian violence in Israel proper in mixed cities um, alongside some terror attacks, like I think knife uh, stabbings and shootings that, um, but the, but the sectarian violence is actually pretty unusual in Israel proper, right? In mixed cities, like there's things have generally been pretty peaceful. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't say that would be the main reason for the shift to the right. I think the the shift to the right has been, I mean, we've had like four or five elections um, and there's been some strange changes over those elections or both. There's been a normalization of both Arabs um, joining uh, ruling coalitions, which was never done before. There's been cases where they've uh, supported from outside and kept kept governments propped up while never joining, Um, but never in the coalition. Both parties, um, so Bibi's party, the Likud, as well as um, uh, Yair Lapid's party, um, both tried to woo. So the fact that you had the right and left trying to get uh, an Arab party into the ruling coalition was uh, very interesting. It's probably a good step overall. But you also had normalization of very far right people like um, uh, uh, small tricks, uh, for example, um, which is very unfortunate. Um, I, I would say... The, though they, there is a very interesting thing, thing that there are, you, you have to understand that, um, for example, Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jewish people, I'd say are very connected in some ways. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be antagonism going on. Um, and I'm sure that if you're an Arab, Israeli Arab, depending on who you are, for example, you might not feel welcome in this society. You might have some bad feelings. We ate, um, we ate dinner with an Israeli Arab tonight and some of that stuff came up actually, but um, yeah. Exactly. But at the same time, like one stat I can drop down for you, for example, is the most successful um, part of Israeli society, the most successful uh, group is actually Israeli um, Arab Christians. They're on average far more uh, financially successful than Israeli Jews. So they blossom all throughout the country well, the guy, the guy we got dinner with tonight, like his, uh, one of his sons went to Europe to study medicine and came back and is now a doctor in Haifa. 
and most of that would have been impossible if he'd been, you know, in a place like the West Bank instead of Israel proper, just because of movement restrictions, having to leave the air. And talking to this guy, really, he was not, he did not think he was treated equally by the government. He said the fact that it is a Jewish state means he's not confident he, him and his people ever will be, but clearly he had like access to opportunity in a way you do not if you are marooned in the West Bank, let alone in Gaza. Yeah, and, and I would again make the case that not only that, but for example, again, Israeli Arab Christians financially are more well off on average. You know, they, they thrive as doctors, yeah. uh, pharmacists, import export. Do and uh, I mean, we've seen time and time again, letter of the law that uh, the government supports uh, uh, them, but is there like societal discrimination? Sure, but you do see a lot of, for example, um, Israeli Jews. Uh, going into um, Israeli Arab villages all the time, eating their food, you know, wanting to like check out the culture. And if you go to Tel Aviv on a Friday or, or Saturday night, it's just barbecues all over on the beach parks by yeah. Israeli Arabs who, who clearly feel comfortable enough. But it's a messy situation. Like I'd say, for example, I feel like, you know, I'm following your tweets, you know, being in Israel. And I, I congratulate you for trying to tell a story on both ends. And, you know, whoever you're going to talk to, you're going to get one side or the other. But, you know, as someone, again, who's like on the left, but also believes in the right for Israel to defend itself, it's a messy situa- situation or end where we look at, for example, someone like me who's not pro-wildcat, who's anti-wildcat settler, but at the same time being stationed next to settlements where... They had histories of Palestinians sneaking into their settlements and murdering civilians, sometimes yeah. children, you know, in, in their sleep um, and, and not military, where you could at least make a complicated argument that that's freedom fight. Right. Yeah. I mean, we had, for example, just a couple of weeks ago, I think it was three civilians murdered and you had cheering on the streets. You had fireworks. You no, had there was cheering on the streets and- yesterday after the, the most recent stabbings and um car ramming i mean that's just yeah. um so, uh yeah i i uh i, I haven't figured out <clears throat> i don't know if i'm gonna like write write something i've just tried to give like a few snapshots on twitter but uh i feel, I feel horrible for everyone involved i don't i try not to retreat like you can't just leave it at one side has less power because that's not the full story. I like, I think Gaza would probably be the worst place. One of the worst places in the world to be stuck or to be born. And I feel horrible for them. Also, I feel horrible for anyone who has to, I don't know, man, like they're run by a terror group. I find this all just incredibly heartbreaking. Um, I, my only thing is I, I came from the position of growing up and only getting a very one-sided account of Israel. So I think like the, strongest recommendation I would make is I just think American and Israeli Jews should both go to the West Bank and at least see for themselves what they can see for themselves, at least so you can like know whose lives you're talking about and whose lives are affected by security policies. Uh, beyond that, I, I find the whole thing, I, I just don't think I'm informed enough to say that much. Uh, yeah, and, and I agree with you, by the way. I think that, again, both sides need to humanize each other. Um, and I think, you know, I came out of the army and then went in and immediately did a degree on the on the conflict in Arab, you know, uh, Middle Eastern history and counterterrorism. And it's it's a depressing fact. You know, at the end of the day, 
Um, and I'd say to the listeners, you know, pro-Israel, you know, you know pro-Palestine, you know, a little bit of both. Um, and, and it's, it's, it's just kind of tough because there's no solution. There, there, there's really no possible solution because you could say, you could say tomorrow, okay, you actually get the most left-wing government in history, which honestly is depressing because we have a very right-wing government right now, which I personally, it kills me to see um, on so many levels. But then again, even if you get the most left-wing government in history, you actually, if you ask yourself, okay, well, Jesse, who, who do we, who do we actually make peace with? Because you can't right. just say the Palestinians, because the Palestinians are actually divided in half between Fatah ruling the, the West Bank and Hamas ruling the Gaza Strip. And they hate each other. They, they, they literally they murder. hate each other. And, and Hamas is a terror group and Fatah yeah. is supposedly the moderate group, but they're run by Abu Mazen, who is completely toothless and who's hated by his own people. And, and he stopped having elections. No, it's a, it's, it's a complete, it's a catastrophe. Uh, I also, I, I like what you said about being pro both. Cause I think the, the framing fucking sucks. This idea that you have to be pro Israeli or pro Palestinian in part because a lot of positive outcomes for one would be positive outcomes for the other. If Israelis had better security, that would lead to better outcomes for Palestinians. If Palestinians had better and more functional civic society, that would lead to better outcomes for Israelis. So I just, I, I, I too reject the false binary. Yeah. It's, um, it's incredibly depressing thing. The one thing I'd say though, cause I, I joined, I think just when you started uh, to say, you know, that it's, it's depressing. It's only getting worse. I would say that maybe the prospect for peace in some ways is getting worse, but overall the quality of both people's lives is getting much better. Um, I've been someone who's been uh, shelled and mortared on the Gaza Strip and seen some side of that. And unfortunately I've been stuck on the West Bank as well um, uh, on, uh, while serving. And the quality of life there, and again, this isn't me saying, you know, I would love to see a Palestinian state. I, you know, I believe in a two-state solution. You know, while we're stuck, we don't. But the quality of life on, on their end is getting much better, too. Is it like Israel? No, not even close. Not close. But, uh, not close. But it's getting much better. And do you think, that, do you think that's true in Gaza, too? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but Gaza sucks. I mean, like, if you're there, yeah. you're kind of stuck. But, like... Even in Gaza, you can see, like, life has gone better there. I I don't know what you can do with Gaza, though. Like, West Bank, for me, I feel like Israel Israel is justified or, or should take ownership for the conditions over there to a certain extent, especially as, you know, the, the whole, area, you know, conditions with area A, B, and C. Uh, with the Gaza Strip, I just don't see a solution there realistically, um, well, we were at the um, we were at the um, what's it called Shalom, where they the, like the place where they have this elaborate system to get supplies into Gaza every day, and it involves like yeah, you basically need to coordinate with yeah, 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 exactly. And they it's this sort of dance involving trucks where you you know have many many trucks a day without sort of direct contact between Israelis and Palestinians and uh it's 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 such an impossible situation it makes the west bank look look easy by comparison because there's just like literally there's there's it's it's a nightmare i mean it's, the people i again i i do Anyway, I, I could go on. I'm not saying stuff people don't know, but it's just horrible. And there's like that one is much more like it's hard to even conceive of what a solution would look like other than um, 
Hamas being overthrown, but who would overthrow them and, and how would they not be worse? So it's just, it's, there's just no, I think there's no way out for Gazans. It's horrible. It is good. Israel, Israel apparently just reopened this, uh, you know, system where I think 17,000 Gazans are now going to be coming into Israel for work every day, which, which gestures like that helps. But the, beyond that, it, it truly seems hopeless. Yeah. It, it, I, I, and I agree with you that. And if you could show me a way where you could, open up the place without building tunnels, you know, or openly arming and importing more and more sophisticated weaponry, which is, which has been and will be used, you know, to bomb civilians, then I, I, you know, I tell you open up in, you know, in a second, you know, I'm, I'm someone who is pro, you know, let's get the settlers out of Gaza. Um, So it breaks your heart when you see stuff like that. And again, yeah. Feel free to credit, you know, Israel's fucked up, you know, in, in times of, you know, targeting, you know, um, and how it responds to protesters at the fence and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not going to make everyone on the, the people listening right now on the Palestinian side, you know, feel better. But I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are pro-Israel right now who are pissed off at me, too, about this. Yeah. But you're right. I think it's whether you're a, you're a little bit on the uh, on the center but maybe slightly pro-palestinian or if you're on the center but pro is a little bit leaning more pro-israel if you're willing to take an unbiased look at this right it is kind of it's kind of depressing overall for the solution i don't think that there's a clear answer um thank you for that joshua you you know a lot about this and i appreciate your insights cheers jamile what's up Hey, Jesse. Jamal. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. Um, but yeah, it is uh, fucked up in um, the West Bank and Gaza. It's been fucked up for a while, though. Uh, my dad used to tell me stories about when he first lost faith in the Israeli uh, white wing back in like 1972. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, it was. He was a kibbutznik. Um, he ended up fighting in the 1967 war uh, because he had this, he had no more, he grew up in Detroit and he wanted to dodge the draft to get out of Vietnam. But morally, he had no problem dodging the draft, but his execution <laughs> was really fucked up. Yeah. Ended up in Israel. <laughs> ended up um, on an artillery crew on the... Uh, Suez Canal. Uh, Hey, you have a lot of noise in the background. Is there anything you can do about that? Uh, Probably not. I'll try, but I'm getting your notifications again. And I'll try to come back for the next show and have about a microphone then. You stay safe down there. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. Um, Let's wrap up with AA just because I'm actually going to do some other stuff. This has been a good chat. AA, what's up? Hey, Jesse, can you hear me? I can. Jesse, I wanted to ask, I listened to your uh, semi-recent episode about uh, the evidence for uh, a transgender medicine, uh, yeah. the, the uh, John Stewart one, and you know, it was pretty pretty doomer-pilling. It was pretty, you know, pretty depressing how poor it is. I was wondering, you know, considering how you, you know, you have a sort of slight affirmation, you say, well, now, I'm not in favor of all this stuff, but I think it's a good idea to do some of it for some people. What is the uh, affirmative case for it in general? What is the evidentiary 
case be made in favor of these types of programs? Yeah, it's, 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 you know, circumstantial. I mean, it's basically you have the, the, I've said this before, but the best data we have come from the Dutch. They have a very specific protocol. Um, I think they've sort of loosened it up, but at the time their data came out, sorry, at the time where they were treating the kids who are now adults in many cases, where the data came out, very careful assessment, very mindful of the fact that from in their view, gender dysphoria can go away in childhood. These are all kids with childhood onset GD, um, very mindful of parental support and other mental health issues. If you have untreated other mental health issues, you're not allowed to go on blockers or hormones. If you have unsupportive family, you're not allowed to go on blockers or hormones. All these sort of contraindications. And, and you can just go down the list and American clinicians, especially the more liberal ones or the more vanguard ones, don't believe in any of these. They think that you should still, you know, uh, a lot of them think that if some, a kid has other mental health problems and gender dysphoria, the gender dysphoria is definitely causing the other mental health problems, whereas I think a more realistic approach is like causality can go either way. Like if you have other problems that could lead you to think you have gender issues. Um, the affirmative case is just that I think there's kids with really deep seated gender dysphoria where if I had to guess the pros outweigh the cons of this medicine, but um, you, I cannot point anyone to any genuine studies, uh, even decently high quality studies of the more affirmative call it the affirmative approach. That's a vague term, but versus watchful waiting is what the Dutch did. There's, there's no studies. And I have been absolutely furious at the way activists and many science journalists themselves have, have, I never know whether to call it lying, but at a certain point, if you keep repeating shit, that isn't true. You're, you're lying to listeners and readers and uh, evidence wise, that's what's going on. It's lying. So it's a circumstantial evidentiary case. I'm just really not comfortable with bans because I think like for kids with really bad persistent dysphoria, uh, I think you could probably alleviate a lot of suffering in some cases. I'm just not sure how many of the adolescent onset cases are in that category. And that's where a lot of the debate is. So the watchful waiting program is the Dutch program. We support is that, right? Yeah, I mean, I definitely support it more than than looser programs because I think they had certain cautions built in that have been thrown to the wind. For maybe foremost among them, um, it's now assumed that desistance was basically a myth. That this idea that they observed and other clinicians observed that childhood gender dysphoria goes away on its own in many, if not most cases, that's now treated as a myth. And it's just reported straight forwardly by many media outcomes that like we used to think this, now we know it's not true. I think it's true. And that will have a huge effect on how you treat a kid with GD. Because if you think there's a chance that GD will go away on its own, why would you push them toward a medical track rather than take it slowly? But yes, I think I at least think the Dutch approach is based on a fairly realistic understanding of like where these kids are at and where they might be going. Whereas the quicker, uh, more, you know, less gatekeepy affirmation, I'm just not sure what that's based on other than what I view as a false idea about desistance. I'm wondering what, what is the, uh, what is the evidence of efficacy for the watchful waiting approach? How, how, how sparse or strong is it? Yeah, basically just the study, this cohort the Dutch have where they're following these kids like now well into adulthood and 
the evidences they're doing pretty well, although apparently there's like some more evidence in the pipeline that hasn't yet been published, which I think is going to call that a little bit into question. Um, the problem is these kids had fairly low depression and anxiety at baseline. They were already mentally healthy or the Dutch approach wouldn't let them get treatment. So if you go from pretty mentally healthy and then you go on treatment and then 10 years later, you're still pretty mentally healthy. That doesn't necessarily tell you that much. It's good. That's a better outcome than the kids like mental health nose diving. But um, if we're being told kids who currently have really bad like depression and suicidality, that will abate if you just put them on blockers and hormones. That's the claim. We have no evidence to support that claim because there's no studies where that happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I basically trust you, and I think that it seems, it seems like there's really pretty sparse evidence for all these really out there stuff. But I'm just saying, just the the conservative case for making what is the conservative case for, for intervention in, at all? Because it seems like there's not great data, data at all to begin with. Like, so, I'm, so you're saying that there's there's some evidence that these kids on the Dutch program or uh, they had you know, pretty good outcomes. Is there any sort of evidence that the uh, intervention actually led to the outcomes or how good is no. that? And, it, and the Dutch themselves say it's possible that um, the outcome, a lot of these studies don't properly control or adjust for things like psychotherapy. So throughout the Dutch process, the kid is getting psychotherapy. So maybe that's what's driving the pretty good outcomes. Uh, it's not, it's not particularly strong research. And I think earlier in my writing about this, I overstated both the strength of the Dutch research and um, the evidence for this stuff in general. The good news is like the Dutch I've, I've, uh, I don't know if I've ever, I need to talk to them on the folks. I want to catch up on some stuff. I think I've only emailed them. They're very responsive and very open in criticism and pretty transparent about the limitations. I think in a way, a lot of American clinicians aren't. Jesus, I mean, it sounds like completely like dispiriting. If that's how like sparse the evidence is, but I understand it, it is a, a new uh, subject. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I was on the impression there's a lot more than than that. Even if not that, the tons as much as people who are on the extreme say. I thought there was just more than you know. We we did a little bit of no. I mean, if you if you, yeah. I mean, you yeah. You, yeah, it sounds like you're you're not new to this issue. You've likely seen like the stuff I did on my subsite, but it's just this thing where you go through study after study after study, and they're all just either incredibly weak or they simply don't show much improvement. Um, or you know, in one case, it's like I think the females to males showed no improvement and they were two thirds of the sample and the other third, like sort of maybe showed improvement, but they didn't. It's just, there's so many different ways this sort of research can be misleading. And if you don't have the right methodological safeguards in place, you just really don't know what the results mean. But it's not just that. It's not like we have a bunch of studies showing massive improvement with methodological problems. We also have a fair number of studies that just don't show much improvement or don't show much of anything. So like, the best you can say about the research is that it's mixed and low quality. And, you know, the endocrine society, they, they themselves describe this as like low quality evidence, although they, at the end of the day, do um, support something like the Dutch approach. So it's been like, I don't know, man, at the bottom has dropped out of my faith in media and its ability to accurately report on a story this controversial. It's, it's really been really bad. Dispiriting is, is exactly the right word for it. Well, I mean, I've, I've been, 
doomer pilled on the media covering it for a long time. But the thing that is really shocking to me at this point is like, you know, I, I I'm completely non surprised by the fact that there's not good evidence for the affirmative care model. But if you're saying that the the, the uh, evidence for the Dutch model, even even that is pretty as far as that is like it it does make me sort of. It's not good. It's a catch twenty two because yeah. they didn't they didn't want to put kids with like serious mental health problems or unsupportive families on this medication, probably for good reasons. But now that means we can only say so much about that cohort. So yeah, it's an it's very experimental. The whole thing. Right, well, I hope that there's better evidence in the future, and I hope that people can be open to evidence. And I think that both of those are probably wrong, but I hope that uh, it happens anyway. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with all that. Uh, dystopias in the chat. I'll just finish up with this. At what cost are we providing treatment to those who benefit? Yeah, I mean, so that's the thing. If at the end of the day, you've kept the kids stable for all these years, you need to see, are they upset in the long run about like the lock, lack of um, or diminished reproductive or sexual function? Would you have been better off just like letting them talk through their gender issues? There's some detransitioners who like really came to understand their gender in a different way. This is anecdotal because we have no studies on this either. Uh, some people's views on their gender change over time. So it's a mess. Uh, let's end it there on that <laughs> very dispiriting <laughs> note going from uh, Israel, Palestine to the state of youth gender medicine. Thank you for the call, ZXC. Uh, you brought you brought. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, I cut him off as he was saying I brought his day. I didn't mean to do that. Anyway, thank you guys. Uh, this went longer than I expected, but very good conversation, very good questions. As always, I would just say to ask you to tell people about this, especially now that you will be notified when I go live. We had much better turnout because the bug was fixed. Uh, have a good night, I guess, day where most of you are. And uh, visit the West Bank tomorrow if you're a Jew. I guess I guess guys could come too.